Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. In August alone, close to 4.3 million Americans uttered those magic words, I quit, and perhaps walked out the door. The quit rate, as it's known, is at the highest it's been since records began to be kept in 2000. It's happening all up and down the range of jobs. This isn't just a white-collar phenomenon. The simplest explanation, the job market is hot, but the jobs themselves are not. We'll talk with experts about this phenomenon in the labor market and listen to some of your stories about quitting. And then we'll check in with a key member of Berkeley's Latter-day Saints about just that, being a Latter-day Saint in Berkeley. That's all next on Forum after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. In March of 2020, few people anticipated that now, a year and a half later, we'd have a booming economy in which the big problem is that businesses cannot find enough workers at the pay rates and working conditions that they had before. That's given many types of workers more leverage in their workplaces because they can just quit. And with 10 million job openings in the United States, it turns out millions of people are quitting their jobs each month in the cleverly named Great Resignation. But not every kind of worker is in the same position. So if you've recently quit a job, call us to share why. Tell us how it's going. Or if you run a company and you're having trouble retaining workers, what are you changing up in order to keep people around? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. We hope to hear from a bunch of you in different kinds of situations. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. As usual, we're at KQED Forum, or you can email your story to forum at kqed.org. Joining us to talk about quitting and the economy people are quitting into, we have Enrique Lopez Lira. He directs the low-wage work program at the UC Berkeley Labor Center. Welcome to the show, Enrique. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We also have Carla Miller, the work advice columnist for The Washington Post. Welcome, Carla. Thank you so much for having me. And finally, we have Jason Wingard, the president of Temple University. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alexis. Great to be here. Uh, President Wingard, let's start with you. Uh, Just the basics. Why is this happening now? Well, it's a really interesting topic, Alexis, and we're seeing what has already started through the beginning of the pandemic, and it's been accelerated now. We see a group of millennials and Gen Zers, and by the way, they're going to be 75 to 80 percent of the workforce in the next couple of years. So they do, in fact, have the power in this new market economy. But what they have seen through their lived experience is their parents, Generation X, people like me, and baby boomers who have worked 80-hour work weeks. They have 
committed everything to the job. They have not had balance. They have not made as much money as they wanted to make. And so they've seen their lives not be the balance that they want from personal to professional. And they don't want that for themselves. They wanna have a balanced life. They wanna be able to dictate how and when they work, how and when uh, they are evaluated. And they now have the power to be able to enforce that. And employers have to make the decision. Do we wanna give them that right to dictate how we run our businesses or do we not? And those who are choosing not to adhere to what millennials and Gen Zers want, they're going to be losing in the new workplace of the future. Enrique Lopez Lira, are we seeing this up and down the the pay scale? Are low wage workers also experiencing this uh, kind of new power within their workplaces? Well, what we're seeing from low wage workers is that, uh, at least in the in the numbers from uh, July and August, is that we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, many uh, uh, folks uh, forget that. And uh, a lot of the quits uh, uh, rates that, that we saw really had to do with the, the, the Delta variant. And a lot of these low wage workers are in jobs where they have to be in uh, face-to-face contact with uh, other workers and with customers. And there's no way for them to work remotely. And because these jobs don't typically offer health benefits or uh, paid uh, sick leave and so forth, uh, there's a real concern still in many of these workers that uh, they might get the virus and bring it home to their families and their unvaccinated young children and elderly parents and so forth. And so they they are uh, quitting, maybe not for the same reasons, uh, as some of the uh, professional millennials, but some real concerns from the mm-hmm. virus that we're still having to deal with. Yeah. Carla Miller, uh, work advice columnist for The Washington Post, seems like uh, Jason Wingard described kind of like the pull attractions of a sort of new kind of workplace and, and newly empowered workers, particularly professional class workers. And Enrique kind of described the push of like a lot of these jobs are just terrible and they are have been made more terrible by the conditions of the pandemic. Is that what you're hearing uh, from people uh, in your post as the columnist there at the Washington Post? Um, yes, uh, I'm actually happy to say that everybody is right. <laughs> the pull <laughs> and the push are happening, and I'm hearing about both of them. Um, a couple weeks ago, I first wrote about the Great Resignation, and I just put the question out there: Have you? Are you experiencing this? Are you? Have you been quit? Have you quit a job because of the pandemic, or has it forced you to rethink your career? And I have just been flooded with responses from people at uh, all income levels at all in in all industries um, from frontline workers in healthcare and food service to people who are in more office jobs behind the scenes um, who who aren't on the front lines but are still feeling the stress from the pandemic in uh, in tech in hr in higher academia even so it's um and it's it's all ages and there there are some who are young workers who are are feeling the pressure and then there are some workers near the end of their careers who were intending to retire eventually, just not this soon, but they've decided to go ahead and take early retirement because the conditions are so bad in their offices. 
We're talking about the high quit rate, what it means for workers and for the economy with Carla Miller, work advice columnist for The Washington Post, Enrique Lopez-Lira, who directs the low-wage work program at UC Berkeley Labor Center, and Jason Wingard, president of Temple University. And we want to hear from you. If you've recently quit a job, call us to share why. Tell us how it's going. And we also kind of want to hear, did the pandemic change your relationship to work in some fundamental way? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum and the emails forum at kqed.org. Let's welcome Virgil from San Francisco into the conversation. Uh, hi, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I uh, I quit my job um, about a month ago. Um, I was working at a dispensary at the wharf here in San Francisco, and it was only the starting wage was only seventeen dollars an hour, which is not a lot of money here in San Francisco to get mm-hmm. by. Um, and also, it was very poor management, and they had all recently gotten COVID because they weren't wearing masks in the back of the store. Um, and I just know that my value is more than that. Um, I also had recently come back from living in Germany, um, where I had spent a lot of money and time learning the language there so that I could go to one of the trade schools there, which are free. You just have to know German. Um, I couldn't get the visa to stay there, but I wish we had those kinds of programs in the U.S. where um, the school and um, carpentry, nursing, um, welding, baking, those are all considered trade schools. And they're all three years. They're free. The government pays you to work 20 hours a week. They give you a place to live and food to eat. And that's what every person on this earth deserves, but also Americans. Wow. Virgil, what are you going to do now, at least, you know, till you can figure out how to go back to Germany? Um, well, I'm just kind of taking it day by day. I have some savings, fortunately, and um, I already have a degree. Um, um, in less than two years, I'll graduate from CCSF as a dental assistant, which I'm very fortunate that I found a path that is a great fit for me. Um, but I wanted to do carpentry, which they won't give you loans for that in America. You have to pay out of pocket and it's very expensive. Um, but that was the program I was looking at doing in Germany. That's really interesting. Thank you uh, so much, Virgil, just to hear hear your story. And, you know, uh, Enrique, I was wondering, you know, we heard a lot in the early part of the pandemic about how the lack of available daycare and other kinds of childcare, those burdens were falling to women and women were dropping out of the workforce. Is that still something that we're seeing happen now? Uh, yes. Uh, in, uh, in fact, uh, the... Uh... Uh, the jobs report that came out uh, for September showed that uh, women, uh, again, were uh, exiting the workforce. And we still have uh, uh, the national level uh, over a million women uh, who are uh, not in the, in the labor market yet. Um, because there's still a pandemic and the Delta variant, uh, there's a lot of daycare places who have now fully reopened uh, some of the numbers on the, uh, the quit numbers we saw for August also uh, were before school started. And it, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether schools are going to open in person or, mm-hmm. or not. And all of those uh, uh, uncertainties uh, really fall primarily on, on women. And uh, when you break it down by race, uh, Black and Hispanic women tend to provide an even bigger share of the care. Uh, and so definitely care is a very uh, big concern still. And the pandemic, uh, if nothing else, has uh, really shed a light on the care crisis that we have in this country. Uh, 
Yeah. Jason Wingard, um, when we're looking at these, the stratification of the job market now, do you think that white-collar workers are experiencing fun, something fundamentally different from people lower on the wage scale? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, uh, Alexis. I, I do think that that is the case. There are a lot of different challenges that are being faced by workers during this pandemic and, and, and more recently. But white-collar workers in particular have had, in general, more flexibility with when and where they can work. So the hybrid workforce has reached white collar workers more readily than say the service economy where that needs to be on the ground doing trucking, doing moving and shipping and logistics. And so those white collar workers are now demanding that the hybrid workforce, being able to work from home, being able to log into Zoom and to conduct meetings in that way, managing virtually, that that maintains. And so you see companies like Twitter and Google choosing to focus more on maintaining that type of work environment for those white collar workers who expect it and who have the upper hand in this economy because we need these workers. There's a talent shortage, there's a talent war. And so these employers now have to figure out what can I do to make sure I maintain these workers as opposed to the, the, the blue collar workers where that work on the ground is more readily uh, available. And so the worker, the employers don't have to cater to those workers as much. So the workers who are in the white collar roles, they have more power, that dynamic has shifted. And so employers are having to say, what is it that you want so that we can keep you, we can retain you, and that we can give you what you need so that you can help make us competitive. And that's really an important factor now. And with that power, this workforce is starting to ask themselves that question. Where do I want to work? How do I want to work? How do I want you to invest in me so that you can retain my talent to make your company better? We're talking about the high quit rate and what it means for workers and for the economy with Jason Wingard, president of Temple University, Carla Miller, work advice columnist for The Washington Post, and Enrique Lopez Lira, who directs the Low Wage Work Program at the UC Berkeley Labor Center. And again, we do want to hear from you. If you've recently quit a job, call us and share why, 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about workers quitting, what it means for the economy. Carla Miller, work advice columnist for The Washington Post. Jason Wingard, president of Temple University, also writes for Forbes. And Enrique Lopez Lira, who directs the low-wage work program at UC Berkeley's Labor Center. I want to welcome Jay from Santa Rosa into the conversation. Hi there. Yeah, I quit um, a food industry job after doing barista work for a lot of years because the main reason being I didn't want to be the police of masks and uh, keeping myself and my uh, coworkers safe. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm doing courier work now. And so I have the option to cancel orders if I feel unsafe in a situation. Um, 
So that that has been my experience with this. And then also my mom has worked in preschool for um, years and years, and she wants to get out but is pretty much trapped because there's such a high need for uh, preschool teachers right now. And is she able to get higher wages in that work, or has she just kind of been been stuck with the job that she's had and the wages she's had in the past? Right. Um, she definitely has community ties to her job, but also her, the wage she she couldn't go to over to just Head Start or something and make the same wages. She's in a, a more privatized um, preschool. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for that, Jay. You know, Carla, we were talking a lot about the service industry and having to sort of police the behaviors of the pandemic. Is that something you've heard from workers that it's just sort of like an added burden that makes a, a bad job untenable? I haven't heard as much from um, from people in food industry having to having to mask police, but I, I have heard of conflicts over masks in workplaces, all kinds of workplaces. Mm-hmm. I actually have a cousin who was a uh, a bartender and would frequently get customers asking her to to take her mask off when she talked to them and that sort of thing. And she, she didn't feel safe, but fortunately she had management who would back her up. And and say no, we don't allow that. Our our personnel have to keep their masks on. So there's that concern. And in the early stages of the pandemic, um, I did get a lot of questions from people in offices saying, nobody in my office will wear masks, or I'm interviewing for a job where I had to ask them to put a mask on to talk to me, and the, you know people not feeling comfortable in those kinds of environments. And you know. My take was if they're not wearing a mask when they first meet you, you're not going to have much luck convincing them to start doing it after they hire you. So right. people people are sort of gravitating to jobs that you know have the kinds of policies that match their own risk tolerance and yeah, their you own know, Carla, comfort. That- does seem really interesting. You know, we had uh, over the last, you know, half century, we've had people sort themselves geographically um, such that, you know, we're politically in in enclaves. Now it seems like the same thing is actually happening in the workplace, that people's uh, sort of values, risk tolerances and politics are also kind of sorting them into different kinds of companies. It is. I'm hearing, um, you know, ever since we had the uh, the the um, vaccine mandate, you know, get a vaccine or, you know, employers over a certain size have to get, have to ensure that their employees are vaccinated or take, you know, have a negative COVID test. Some people are leaving their jobs over that either because they don't want to get the vaccine. Um, and so they want to go work for some place that doesn't have to follow those rules or people who want to work in a vaccinated workplace. And so they're going to leave their, their anti vaccine jobs and go somewhere where they, again, where they feel safer and where they feel sort of among people who share their views. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listener Sam asks, uh, what's the role of unions in this new great resignation? Enrique? Well, I I think we're seeing that um, the uh, public approval of unions is at an all-time high. And uh, I think the pandemic has um, uh, opened the eyes of many uh, out there who now understand that uh, unions uh, not just benefit uh, covered employees, but non-covered employees as well. Uh, where there's unions, uh, the, the pay tends to be better, the quality of the job tends to be better, and that those benefits extend to non-members of the union as well. So uh, I... From, from our perspective in the low wage work program, 
we, we want to improve the quality of jobs and the labor standards uh, that workers uh, have to work under. And I believe unions uh, are, you know, countervailing force to some of the, um, uh, you know, power of uh, uh, larger corporations that we've seen uh, over the, the past few years. Yeah. It's interesting, though, Enrique, because... You know, you're trying to organize people in the workplace to, you know, uh, improve conditions within that place. And then if people are leaving or just like quitting rather than it's almost like you're providing kind of a, a pressure release rather than having the, the, the pressure go towards changing the work conditions. Yeah, I mean, the sad reality is that it's still very difficult to organize workers and uh, some of the uh, policies uh, in, in particular states uh, have made it very difficult for workers to organize uh, both in the private and the public sector. And you know, we saw some of that in Wisconsin uh, a few years ago. And so, uh, you know, uh, there's policies that have been proposed to make it easier and for workers to unionize and uh, engage in collective bargaining. Um, the, the problem is they haven't been enacted yet and uh, there's still a question of whether they will ever be enacted, but the PRO Act at the federal level uh, does exactly that. It, it, it makes it easier for workers to uh, organize in the workplace uh, and prevent uh, companies from uh, thwarting those efforts to organize by workers. Uh, Alexis, I'm Alexis. I'd like to, oh, sure. Go ahead. Alexis, this is Jason Wingard. I'd just like to add to what Enrique was saying. I completely agree. The labor unions have never been as attractive as they are now, but the gig economy is also strengthening in this market. The gig economy, meaning contract workers. So we see a lot of workers who are exiting their jobs. They're quitting, as you said earlier, but they are going to work for themselves. So some are not working anywhere. I just wrote an article in Forbes a couple of weeks ago uh, that talked about the great resignation. And we see that some people are quitting and they're just figuring out what they're going to do and they're not working anywhere, as some of our callers have suggested. But others are engaging in the gig economy. They're figuring out how can I get skills and competencies from an educational provider, whether that's an alternative provider or whether that's a college or university like Temple University, and they are skilling themselves with what they think the workers need right now. And then they are working for themselves on a contract basis to do the work for as long as that project or that initiative lasts. And then they go back out of the market and then they come back in again. So inside of companies, we see the unions having a greater influence on the workforce, but then we also see people quitting the job market, going into the gig economy, and then picking and choosing where they want to work and how they want to work by fortifying themselves with the skills that the marketplace is looking for right now. That's an interesting point. We're talking about the high quit rate and what it means for workers and for the economy with Jason Wingard, president of Temple University, also professor in this realm of the world. Carla Miller, uh, work advice columnist for The Washington Post, and Enrique Lopez Lira, who directs the low wage work program at UC Berkeley Labor Center. Did the pandemic fundamentally change your relationship to work, maybe leading you to quit? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. Let's welcome Pamela from San Jose into the conversation. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So yes. I am a tech worker and I had a great job as a recruiter and we are in very high demand because it's so hard to find people. Um, my story is a little bit different from all these tech workers that love working remotely, love working from home, have moved away 
uh, from the Silicon Valley and other expensive areas, my situation is a little bit different in that I was finding it very, very difficult to work from home. Um, distracted, hard to focus, hard to prioritize things, and really, honestly, it was a mess. And I, it was creating so much stress um, that I couldn't sleep, and I thought, I've got to figure this out. I was afraid to tell my company, but eventually I did, you know, say, I'm having a really hard time concentrating, keeping focused. I don't know. I didn't tell them this part, but I don't know if it's my age. I don't know if it's pandemic-related stress, um, prior, you know, crazy To be fair, there was a home. lot going on last year, you know? Yes, yeah. all of those things. And so I decided to quit so that I could figure it out. I took the summer off, thought, okay, let me focus on just personal things and what I want to be doing. And um, so I took the summer off, drove my boys around <laughs> to have fun, you know, for the summer. And it was great. I am working again, though, but I'm working from home still. So I'm still trying to figure that out. And you, t- you took the same kind of job roughly then? I did. I did. I'm still doing a similar job, still working from home, just trying really hard to stay uh, more focused. I need uh, some other tools to do that, though, because at home <laughs> there are still so many distractions. But Car- I'm figuring it out. Yeah. Carla Miller, do you hear this? I mean, I, it does feel I, like there's uh, a yes. big... Yeah, yeah. First of all, Pamela, let me reassure you, you are not alone. Um, for, for all that we've been saying, hey, remote work is great. People are so much more productive. They're doing a great job with it. That's... Everybody's wired differently. And there are, you know, I, I, I actually wrote a column a while back um, responding about a person who was having trouble with the remote work. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, having to communicate through email exclusively and through video meetings, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't what he was comfortable with. Um, he had a hard time sort of communicating and absorbing ideas. For a lot of people, being on a Zoom call is stressful because you're, you're thinking about how you look and how you sound, and it's it, it's kind of hard to adapt to that, and then think about the content of what you're actually saying or what's happening in meetings. So this is this is not a flaw in you. This is not an age <laughs> thing. It's just it's Good just people are just and some people. Okay, granted, some people thrived during the pandemic working remotely. They mm-hmm. found it was better it for them it reduced distractions and they were better able to focus and just sort of put their heads down and plow through the work but again not everybody worked better in those conditions and i think what this pandemic has done if there's any silver lining it's that it has forced us to think about how we work best and to advocate more for ourselves and say, you know, this this situation works for me. I'd like to keep doing this or this doesn't work for me. I want to go back to doing it the other way and hoping that, your, you know, management will listen and be willing to adapt and accommodate to individual workers needs instead of trying to impose a one size fits all solution. Thank you for that story, Pamela, and thank you for that, Carla. You know, my hot tip for Zoom meetings is you can turn off your own, the self-view. You can turn off the video of looking at yourself. <laughs> no one is meant to stare at themselves for as many hours a day as we stare at ourselves uh, in Zoom meetings. Let's bring in uh, Lynn from Concord. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Yeah, what's your story? So um, I, am, I was an emergency room nurse for uh, 12 years, um, did travel nursing, worked all over the United States. Mm. And um, I've been kind of trying to get out of nursing, ER nursing for a while. It's very, very stressful. It's not something that I was planning on doing forever. And um, yeah, the pandemic just kind of pushed me over the edge. You know, uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, 
going to work really scared for my life, watching mm-hmm. people die. It was really scary. And then I think the tipping point for me was um, when the vaccines, you know, everybody's vaccinated. And then people who had made a conscious decision to be unvaccinated um, would still come and they would get sick, obviously, and they would be really sick and they would take up beds in the emergency department and then the hospital. And I, it, it was very frustrating for me to have compassion for people that were making the choice to be unvaccinated, which is fine. That's your choice, but then still coming and wanting our help when they were sick. And that was just really, really difficult um, for me to reconcile. And it got harder and harder to go to work every day. And yeah. compassion fatigue was something that's really, really, mm-hmm. um, it's a real thing. Burnout was happening. It's still happening. And what I've actually noticed a lot of nurses now, um, because there's nursing shortages all over, because this is obviously happening. We're leaving on moss. And it's frustrating for a lot of my coworkers who are still there because they're paying travel nurses, you know, thousands of dollars to come and work in these hospitals and they're not really incentivizing the nurses that are staying. And that's really frustrating for a lot of my coworker, my old, old coworkers. Yeah. Well, Lynn, I hope you find something that's a little bit less stressful. I feel like you deserve a break. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I actually have a couple of opportunities opening up that are, um, I'm really excited about work because I still do. I love patient care. I love treating people. Um, but I'm working more on the preventative side of things now, which I think is, is a little bit better for me. Yeah, that's great. So thank you. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Lynn. I, um, Mike, listener, uh, has a comment here for once Enrique to answer. I've heard complaints from those of a conservative bent that the difficulty of hiring is due to the government checks everyone got. How much is that really a factor? Um, could we talk about that, Enrique? Sure. I, I think that... Um the latest uh, jobs report uh, for September and the uh, uh, the openings and uh, turnover report for August show that um, the narrative about unemployment or extended unemployment benefits keeping people from the labor market is is false. Uh, there, there uh, some economists have done some robust work. Uh, first, they did it when the CARES Act money increased those benefits, and then more recently to look at some of the uh, additional extended benefits uh, and found that there really was no uh, cause and effect there. And if you look at the jobs report for, from states that ended those unemployment benefits early uh, because of that narrative, uh, th- there was no bump in hmm. employment for those states. So, so you had a nice think- natural experiment there and didn't see uh, in people rushing back to work even after the unemployment benefits ended. Correct. And so what that means is that um, uh, it really did more harm to those workers who are still struggling, taking those benefits away from, from workers when they needed the most out of some false narrative uh, that might be uh, politically motivated. Uh, really, is terrible policy and, 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 and really hurtful to workers uh, who will continue to struggle uh, right now in the middle of this pandemic. Let's get to one more caller, Levi from Los Gatos. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Levi, you're you're a hiring manager, right? You're on the other side of this. Yes, I am. Yeah, I manage a uh, a, a bike shop that's a, a chain in the Bay Area, and uh, we are currently seeing a huge shortage in applicants uh, across nearly every area of the Bay. Uh, in both sides of our, our business, we we offer retail sales and uh, uh, tech services, mechanics uh, in our shop, and uh, both are severely lacking in new applicants. So interesting. And so you're, you, there's basically like a mismatch between what you need and the people who are showing up. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've begun offering some really uh, creative incentives for uh, for new hires uh, over the past year in the first uh, first year of COVID uh, to retain employees. Uh, there was additional uh, you know hazard pay offered, um, and then uh, to entice our our existing uh, customers, our, our existing employees to uh, recruit new members, uh, hiring bonuses for uh, referring. Um, you know, friends or other people in the industry. Uh, so, and then of course, a, a, a really creative slate of other benefits that we offer our employees, like uh, getting paid to ride since we are a bike shop. Uh, you know, big big discounts on um, on gear and things like that, common in other retail fields. Um, but then other things like bringing your dog to work and uh, some some other fun things like that. Um, and yet, we're still seeing it. Uh, I, I think we're hearing a lot that uh, people just want to get paid more. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Wingard, um, want to go to you with this, uh, with Levi's story, which is basically the extension of a lot of these benefits we kind of associated with, you know, high end tech work kind of filtering into uh, retail. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, uh, the, the, the questioners who have come on to the call uh, this show recently have expressed all the issues that we're facing right now. People are exiting the workplace because of issues such as mental health. So they're overwhelmed, they're stressed, they can't take the changing dynamic of how and where they're trying to work. Public health-wise, they're afraid of getting sick, you know, the mask mandate and, uh, and, and all those expectations of people wearing it or not wearing it. Higher education, so we see at Temple University, a lot of people are saying, I'm just gonna start going to school now, I'm gonna fortify my, my resume and my background and my skill set. Other people feel like they're not making enough money. So all these issues are contributing to this exit. People are not staying in the workforce because of all these issues. And then you have a bike shop owner, such as our caller, who's saying, I can't find the yeah. talent that I need to be able to do the work. And it's for all of these different reasons. And the only way you can attract these workers is by offering the benefits we've been talking about, the cultural benefits, uh, the other gonna things. going to have to leave it there. We've been talking about the high quit rate with Jason Wingard, president of Temple University, Carla Miller with The Washington Post, and Enrique Lopez Lira. He directs the low-wage work program at UC Berkeley. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.